and welcome back to the Replatform Podcast. It's myself, James, and I'm joined again by my co-host, Paul Rogers. Mr. Rogers, how are you today, sir? I'm good, thanks. How are you? Yeah, I was just laughing with you earlier about the fact I'm I'm sat outside my house in my car recording this because I have people viewing the house today. So, and it's a beautiful, bleak, um, rainy day to be sat in a car. Sounds surprisingly good, to be fair. I might make this my permanent office. It's brilliant. <laughs> So yeah, let's let's set up a um, set the scene for for what we're going to be talking about and, and who we're talking to today. So we've we've got Big Commerce um, back on to do a 2020 update. We we featured Big Commerce last year, talk a lot about their their kind of API driven headless platform, and they've been gaining significant traction in the UK specifically for the last few years. They've won big projects like Benson's for Baird's La Perla. And also been reacting to changing market demands this year, supporting lots of smaller businesses to launch e-commerce stores off the back of the rapid growth of e-commerce and the challenges with COVID. And there's also been lots of core product updates and building out the roadmap. So yeah, we've had a lot of experience on the platform. I know you've worked with it. I selected BigCommerce for a beauty brand last year because of its API and SaaS uh, capabilities. And so we decided it was time to catch up with the team at Big Commerce to find out how it has evolved in 2020, look at some of the new platform features like the page builder, Big Commerce WordPress, um, and understand a bit more about where they might be going now. So delighted to welcome uh, Jim Herbert, who's Vice President and General Manager of me. And Jim's got a stack of experience in the e-commerce tech industry, um, having co-founded like Systems Integrated Scenaric and been on the board for leading agencies like Digitas LBI. So uh, delighted to have you on board today, Jim. Welcome. Thank you, James. It's a, it's a pleasure to be here. I've listened to this podcast over the last few years um, while I was kind of doing some more of that advisory work you described. And uh, yeah, it's great to be here. Excellent. So before we kick off and ask you uh, lots of demanding questions about big commerce, um, but you, so why don't you set the scene for people about what what is your role and and, uh, and what does that mean to, to big commerce in general? Because I know this is a relatively new role for you. Yeah, absolutely. No, you're right. It's, um, it's, it's almost exactly five months since I started taking over from Mark Adams, who... Uh, you mentioned Scenaric that I founded. Um, he founded Portal Tech. So we used to compete against each other back in the days of the monolith, <laughs> if you know what I mean. Um, and so uh, I've joined uh, with the same remit he had ultimately, which is to grow the EMEA region for uh, big commerce, winning more clients and, and helping get sort of merchants, large and small, onto the platform um, and, and helping them transform their businesses uh, through, through e-commerce, which has been a particularly important thing this year, obviously. So it's very much a sales role, um, even though I'm a techie by trade, uh, as, as you well know. Um, this is a this is a sales role helping, you know, go out and actually uh, win more business for BC. But as a general manager, it's also making sure that the merchants see that success. So um, as they are getting onto the platform, if they're running on the platform, as we introduce new features um, through, through the, the, you know, one of the joys of SaaS, where the new stuff just comes along as part of the subscription fee. Quite often that leads to, you know, where we where maybe we need to have a meeting about how we're going to introduce that feature or how we're going to get around a particular roadblock with maybe logistics or something else. Um, so I do get involved in, in kind of escalations around that side as well. Um, so it's exciting. It's really exciting. And in particular, it's really exciting as we as we branch out across Europe and win more clients there. Um, I'll be brutally honest as it is a, a, a quite an open and transparent podcast, um, I took the role at the beginning of, of the year thinking, oh, this will be fantastic. Bit of travel again. I've missed a bit of the travel as I've, as I've had a few years off. Um, and obviously, I'm sat in my home office in Winchester uh, watching the rain out the window like you are in your car. So that bit hasn't quite come to <laughs> come to fruition yet. But um, yeah, it's, 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 a, it's that kind of overarching um, management role for, for the EMEA region, um, reporting into the States, obviously. 
Brilliant. Yeah, I think it's a pretty exciting time to join big commerce, obviously, with everything that's going on. Um, so that leads me on to the first question. So big commerce recently IPO'd. Um, so what has this meant for the business so far? How does it impact the strategy? And um, yeah, how does it impact the roadmap as well for clients? So um, with all IPO, uh, and, and obviously I've worked for a public listed business before, there's only so much I can say, right? Um, and, and in terms of the IPO, what I can say doesn't change anything uh, in terms of the way we do business going forward. Um, we just have a different set of investors ultimately. So um, we're incredibly excited about it. Um, it, was, it was lovely to see the name up there. I mean, personally, um, bear in mind I founded and sold a business, which was cool uh, in, in its own way. Getting my photo up on the side of the NASDAQ building in Times Square, that was pretty amazing, right? That'll be a life highlight when I look back on it, if you know what I mean. <laughs> um, so there's a lot of excitement in the, in the business around it. Um, but like I say, it doesn't impact anything. Uh, you know, the, the, the day-to-day carries on um, as, it always, as it always did. Um, the product teams are still working hard, introducing new features, um, and the, the sales teams are, are still working hard, going out trying to, to, to find new clients. So, um, you know, the, the, so the key thing is no major change. I think is, is, is the answer. Cool. Yeah, and we we appreciate that that, that you can't. Uh, there are certain things you you can't discuss, obviously, on a on a public podcast. So, I think that's quite reassuring for merchants to know that that the the fundamental strategy is is going to remain. Um, it kind of leads me on to another question because you touched upon this about the you know your role joining and looking forward to travel and then suddenly being locked at home for twenty twenty. So, COVID nineteen has accelerated digital transformation for many businesses, and there was a that uh, that good meme joke going around uh, on social about what led digital transformation in your business, COVID nineteen. Um, we know that a lot of people have been turning towards e-commerce or ramping up e-commerce and big commerce has been very active in that. What, what have you noticed? So what types of businesses have turned to big commerce since March and why? And has that made you accelerate any specific platform capabilities more than others? Um, I think um, to, to answer the sort of last question, no, no particular platform capability has been accelerated due to it. Um, and the nice reason why is because the platform was, was, was capable in the first place, right? So, um, you know, coming back to how I first um, met BC, it was last September. So Mark invited me in. I was doing some interim work at an ex-Scenaric developer's new business, Iata Commerce. Uh, and he said, look, we need, we need new partners because we're, we're winning business sort of hand over fist. Um, and and uh, I know you guys work well in that kind of enterprise size space. Um, and I walked out of that meeting having had a demo and, and turned to Shine and said, um, you know, when we had Scenaric, right? Uh, I think we could have done every single fashion apparel client on this platform. Um, you know, it, it would work for them for, for those big businesses. And so we are seeing, you know, the large businesses stuck on the monoliths, if you want to call them that. Um, and I hate to say that about, you know, platforms like Hybris and Salesforce that I've worked with in the past and, and done a good business on them. But, you know, time moves on. Uh, technology changes as a, as a techie. I know that more than, than, than a lot of people. So, um, and, and actually a, a SaaS platform that upgrades itself as, as you're going along um, and introduces new features all the time, like the social shopping we'll come on to later on. Um, that's um, that's really powerful for those guys. And the fact that you take on the hosting, the PCI, there's actually, you know, there's, there's a real TCO equation. So I'd say come back to COVID, you're looking at people who've had to shutter up their, their bricks and mortar stores coming to us saying, okay, um, we now know that we have to really accelerate this. Our architecture that we built maybe 10 years ago doesn't quite fit what we need right now. Um, and actually, we can't necessarily afford it either. So, so that you know, we, we need to work on it in a uh, with, with a platform that gives us a better TCO and takes on all the stuff that we don't, 
you know, want to spend money on the upgrades, the PCI compliance, the hosting, you know, you, if you're including that in your subscription fee, that's amazing. Um, we can then concentrate on being retailers. And so, so that's on the, that's one side of it. It's the larger brands that are coming to us. Obviously, you know, I think digital transformation is very hard. I've got a friend of mine who's on a competitor SaaS platform, so I can't talk about it too much. Oh, disgusting. Um, but she, um, she, uh, you know, created a website because she knew she had to. But in reality, she's doing everything through 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 the store where my daughter works at weekends, right? Um, and of course, the store's shut. And if that's the majority of her business, then suddenly her business she hasn't got a business, right? She's still got to pay rent. She's still got to pay rates. And so um, we did see uh, a lot of small businesses coming onto the platform. And in fact, I, you know, I think one of the reasons I got this job, that and the fact that obviously it's a podcast, you can't see it, but I've got a, a yellow jersey from the Tour de France behind me because I, I like cycling and, and so do all the exec at Big Commerce, um, was the fact that I actually built a Big Commerce site. So the beginning of lockdown, um, I have a friend of mine who, who um, runs a brewery, Alfred's Brewery in Winchester. Um, great beer, quick shout out, sorry about that. But um, obviously the pub shut. And so Steve put on Facebook, uh, I'm taking orders. I've got all this beer. I've got to get rid of it. Um, and it was a really interesting play, this. He got a lot of responses to that. And so he came to deliver some beer to a friend of mine's doorstep and said, I'm overwhelmed. I've got all these orders. I can't keep track of them. You know, they're all basically in Facebook Messenger or email. Um, and he said, oh, you know, I think uh, I think he needs an e-commerce platform. So I took the standard plan, you know, the $30 plan. It took me about two hours to get something live for him. He's already using um, a payment provider that's integrated into the platform. Um, he's already using Zero as well as an accounting system, which I also use for my advisory business. So I was able to help get that hooked up. And so, you know, after about three hours work, the hardest part was actually just limiting delivery to Winchester because he does it himself. Um, so I had to find a list of postcodes for free that I could put into the in, in, into the kind of uh, delivery limit part of, of BC. Um, but, you know, three hours later, I was, I was talking to Steve, so I'm like, here you go, man. So you've got your products in there. You're hooked up to a payment provider. Um, you're hooked up to an accounting system behind the scenes. Um, and you can go out and sell directly online on the business. And he's and he has. So And, and of course, you know, this, talking about digital transformation, as a manufacturer, he's now getting retail margin, which is amazing. Um, and it means that you can buy beer off him, you know, nice and cheap, ultimately. But also, as a... Um, uh, as a business that that basically lost all of its capability to sell, he managed to carry on, not only survive, but thrive. And that's a repeated story. And I, I did that. I was able to talk about it during the interview process. But coming back to the whole impact of COVID, it's not just uh, the big businesses. The small guys have now got the chance to use platforms like Big Commerce um, to, to uh, attract a bigger audience and then even expand that audience out. Maybe not for beer. You know, that's, that's a difficult thing to sell through marketplaces. But if you have a, a lot of stock and you can hook it into Amazon or eBay or, or into the social media networks, then suddenly you, you find yourself competing against the big guys. And, you know, if you were selling stuff that had um, maybe gone out at the beginning of April because of stockpiling, but you had some of it, you could make quite a lot of money that way. So it's, it's been really interesting for me, you know, reading the papers as well, saying the retailers that have survived and thrived versus the guys that are saying, oh, I can't, you know, I can't sell my beer and just sort of complaining a little bit. I mean, there's it's sad. It's a really difficult situation. But also in life, you always find out entrepreneurs that will thrive in this situation. That makes sense. Um, and also, yeah, good good way for you to get a bit of experience, big commerce as well. Um, so moving on to kind of platform specific features, I guess. And um, one of the features that you've released relatively recently that um, I think a lot of people are quite excited about was the page builder offering. Um, can you maybe give us a bit of an introduction on that and then also just talk about kind of where it is now versus where it may end up being and how it competes with like some someone like WordPress or some of the other kind of content management systems on the market? 
Yeah, so so again, you know, it, it's an interesting one. This so Mark um, Adams, when he was uh, at BC, he's got that enterprise background like I have. So I'm I'm leaving that meeting saying, oh look, ninety percent of my fashion apparel uh, clients could could have worked on this, and that's Barber and LK Bennett and and people that you know James and I uh, spoke to you know ten years ago, and and those guys probably won't need a page builder. They might do, but they might end up using BC in more of a headless way, um, using our APIs. And as part of a composable architecture, as I think it's now being called, because let's be honest, headless is a sinister word and, and doesn't sound very nice at all, uh, as my wife pointed out to me a few weeks ago. So, um, but, you know, that's those guys. That's that's one portion of our market in EMEA. If you look at big commerce as a company overall, uh, we do have a lot of small business merchants on there. And there's a cost, right, um, to to picking best of breed technology and sticking it all together and a cost that you might not want as a, as a small merchant. So you need the tools to be able to merchandise your store, to put um, the right banners in the right place, to give you that control. And before PageBuilder, you know, BC was lacking there. Um, and so we were very much looking to um, bring it up to speed and, 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 and add that functionality to give those merchants um, who aren't who are using our sort of native stencil front end more of that control over um, how to how to sort of deal with the customer and and, and um, promote your products. So uh, where it is right now, it's very much iteration one, right? Um, it's it's good. It works really well. Um, you know, again, if you're looking at uh, one of the lovely things about having you know tens of thousands of merchants on the platform is it has to be easy to use. So we have uh, you know a really good UX team as part of the um, the product development to make it as easy as possible, and and the, and the big retailers love that as well, right? You know that one of the issues I always had in the olden days was was putting one of the older bits of architecture in. Um, I'll, I'll talk to Oracle Eighty G as a great example, the BCC um, from from twenty years ago, I suppose, or seventeen years ago. Um, and people say, oh, why have you made it look like this? It's like, I didn't. This is the product, <laughs> if you know what I mean. We don't get those kind of complaints so much from BC. Um, so it works for everybody. But but if you look at the um, the maybe the widgets that you can put into Page Builder, what I'm hoping to see going forward is that our partners, um, as well as BC ourselves, start to add more in there. So um, we've already uh, done some work. Uh, one of our, one of our um, systems integrated partners has done some work to create a contentful widget sounds a bit strange why would you want contentful but if you're a it gives it gives you to the ability to almost do a kind of reverse composable architecture use our stencil front end use page builder have a contentful area within there and then use the enterprise cms workflow capabilities of um you know timed releases and uh, and going through a, a a workflow through a compliance department or whatever or maybe putting in some sort of personalization behind the scenes inside that widget so you can almost use us as um, as the template engine, the e-commerce engine, but then have have other things served into those widgets. And they they don't have to be CMS. They could be they could be one of many other um, third-party plugins that you you get in e-commerce as well. So I think the, the the widgets will be improved. There'll be more of them. Those will go into kind of our uh, our stack for people to choose and integrate using the App Store. Um, there will be improvements to Page Builder. We have one come out last week. So you can now put a um, global banner uh, across the entire site, which I know coming up to holiday season, people are, are taking advantage of already. And we probably will put things like, um, uh, you know, some, some, some changes around how, how and when stuff gets displayed through, through Page Builder. Um, but one of the issues I, I have in this is as a salesperson, I'm not in the product team, guys, so I'm, I'm sorry about that. Um, in terms of the exact dates of when things come out, um, that that will be, I can only give you quarters if, at best. <laughs> and probably not as part of the podcast. I think the best way to look at that is, is, to, is to make sure you're signed up to the newsletters and, and get the information that way. That makes sense. 
Um, so moving on to, I guess, another approach um, for content management. Um, so with the Big Commerce for WordPress plugin, um, I guess, like, can you just give us an introduction to that and kind of how it works for a merchant looking to use it? And also, like, what level of merchant are you targeting with that as well? It's um, so it's an interesting one, this isn't it? Because because we are we're building a platform. I you know I always talk about um, and I always have talked about. I'm sure James heard this at a pitch at some point in the last fifteen years. Uh, the hammer anti-pattern. So you know if you're building software, um, people have things called design patterns, and it came from architecture, like real life architecture. If you need an arch and, and you know what the load bearing on the arch is, you can say, okay, well here are three patterns that will work for that situation. It's the same for software, right? Um, and someone came up with the um, concept of anti-patterns, which is things you want to avoid. And the hammer, hammer anti-pattern is if you have a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Right? It's quite easy to understand. And, and the worry I have now with big commerce is I'm saying, oh, look, I've got this big hammer. But in reality, with BC, I've actually got a toolbox of different ways of doing stuff. And so, um, you know, you can do an Alfred's Brewery and, and sign up to a, a, a cheaper plan um, or, or whatever plans, you know, suitable for you um, and just use BC out of the box. But you might be coming in as a merchant with a very heavily curated beautiful WordPress site. Um, and you want to keep that, right? You Maybe you, you're now saying, okay, I just want to be able to put the, the kind of path to purchase items within that WordPress site. Um, I could try and recreate all that in Page Builder or in the blog functionality within BC, but like WordPress is a brilliant blog. My, my advisory site's up on, on, on WordPress, right? So I'm well aware um, that, that of its capabilities and its features. And if you buy it in a, in a SaaS environment, again, how, how brilliant it is to upgrade itself and make sure it's secure all the time. So then you've got a couple of options, really. You've got um, Woo, right? And I've, uh, I actually built a Woo site a couple of years ago in my kind of off period uh, for a friend of mine. Um, and it's it's good. It does it does a good stuff. And it's taken a lot of the market because it's incredibly cheap. But it does suffer from issues. It's very, very technical focus. You need a me. You need somebody who can look at a PHP bug when you've upgraded and it doesn't work anymore and fix it. Um, and so with the BC plugin, you get the option to say, actually, well, let's let's um, let's not do that. Let's get a kind of fully fledged uh, supported uh, e-commerce system in uh, and use that plugin instead to bring big commerce in there. And then the nice thing, again, you know, you can upgrade WordPress, it'll upgrade itself. You can upgrade BC, it'll upgrade itself. The plugin will work um, because it's always backwards compatible. Um, and so I think that's what, you know, what we're aiming to do with, with these plugins is give you other ways of accessing the the back-end merchant functionality, the product functionality, the integrated payment gateways of, of BC without having to do a full migration. Um, and I think that's, you know, I, personally, I think that's a brilliant thing to be doing because this kind of composable architecture, best of breed approach, at the moment, it's really for maybe the mid-market and enterprise merchants, the bigger guys out there. But um, I'm actively talking to a couple of our agencies actually to say, like, you know, with WordPress, with its internationalization capability, with its... Uh, loads and loads of themes that are out there why don't we um look at kind of doing a a, a smaller market um so 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 for a merchant you know say of uh, i don't know a few hundred thousand upwards um who maybe want those capabilities of wordpress but can also use the wordpress plugin to bc to get the the scalability of, of big comments behind the scenes as well um because i'm all about kind of democratization i'm all about i can't say it um of of e-commerce i think if you can start giving everybody the ability to do this kind of um, best of breed architecture, then as your company grows, you get the ability to, to pick the right things um, to, to grow with it. 
That makes sense. Um, and I guess you touched a little bit on the enterprise side and some of the technologies you might work with um, from a content management perspective at the enterprise level. And I know you've won some deals recently alongside Bloomreach. Um, what would like, yeah, I guess, like, who are some of the other kind of technologies you might work with or how might you kind of position big commerce alongside another technology for some of those larger deals? Absolutely. And I think that thriving app store is going to be really important to big commerce as we as we move forward. Um, you know, one of the things, again, I love about it is, is coming back to Steve's story, you know, uh, with Alfred's, I keep coming back to it, sorry, guys. But um, the fact that we had, a you know, this kind of fully integrated offering in a few hours was was unbelievable. I joked to Steve about the zero stuff and said, you know, um, uh, you know, I used to charge people 50 grand to integrate to an ERP system. And I did, did it by you know, clicking a slider across and putting some details in, if you know what I mean. Um, and, and I think for CMSs and, and other um, front-end tech, um, it, it's, it's equally as important. And you're, and you're right, we work very closely. We have worked very closely and won some deals with, with Bloomreach. Um, and we have a connector, therefore, uh, with Bloomreach, which is brilliant because it means that um, that simplifies the development path. Again, as a, as a retailer, you can you can look at the, the BRX platform and say, right, make it look like this, please. Um, as opposed to how do we do a go about the integration? What does the API look like? You know, those conversations don't need to be had. Um, and obviously, Bloomreach has got the CMS and the search and merch uh, side of it. Um, Attract, we we uh, have a plugin that's just gone to the App Store for Attract, so so we can start looking at using that on more merchants. And we do have some joint customers, obviously, La Perla being the one you mentioned earlier, James, um, and that and that works um, really well. And obviously, with with the uh, Early Birds acquisition that created. Um, Attract and, and some of the other acquisitions that have just been announced. Uh, we're seeing a lot more in a kind of long tail AI search and merch that comes behind the scenes. Um, coming back to CMS, we now have a connector for uh, Magnolia, who are quite close to my heart because when I started Cineric in 2007, they were the very first um, project I ever sold was a Magnolia project. Weirdly, it wasn't even e-commerce. It was for a financial services business. Um, so it's good to see they're still going um, and, and doing well. They've got a, a really nice um uh, back-end interface for doing CMS and it's obviously fully enterprise behind the scenes and I know they work with some large retailers that we're not working with yet but like I say the connect is there which makes it a lot easier and then on the kind of um, composable side contentful content stack uh, contentful we are um, we have a few joint clients with um, we had one launch uh, three or four weeks ago I'm not sure if I can mention them uh, annoyingly but uh, I'll come back to you if I in, in the comments if I can uh, going forward because that's that's a really nice site um, and uh, uh, people like Fantastic as well for the for, for the uh, template side. So um, to give you that kind of best of breed again, um, composable approach. So BC, Contentful, Fantastic, uh, and maybe PWAs like Deity, uh, who we have a very close relationship with. Um, these kind of, all these different integrations and front ends give you that ability to do what you want as a retailer. Um, to, to deal with the situation um, or to deal with... Um, the, the experience that you think your your customers want, how you want to do it, um, and, and allow big commerce to do what's really, really good at, which is being a, you know, a, a best-in-class e-commerce engine. Let's move, I'd like to move on to the international stuff because having having known big commerce for quite a few years now and worked with them directly on a, on a couple of projects, I know that go back maybe 12 or so months, some retailers would consider big commerce to be behind in its overall market offering for international commerce in terms of multi-site management. And I know it's an area that, that has been invested in and it's not, the feature set has improved quite significantly. What, what would be interesting here from view, your viewpoint now is where do you see big commerce sitting in the market in terms of international e-commerce? You know, what are your strengths and weaknesses and where, where is big commerce going with that? 
Yeah, um, I, I agree. And when I walked out of the meeting last September, right, I, it was the same thing. It's like, okay, this is really good. But um, I think back then, even it was, uh, I'm not sure we can do multi currency. Um, so, or it was difficult to. Now, look, we have priced this in multi currency now, um, and, and they're in there and they're being used actively by clients across the board. Um, so that's a good start on, on there. And I think the investment that's been going into the product and is constantly going into the product um, over in the US and um, also in our Kiev and Australia offices is making some really good strides on that. So we are looking at um, using the uh, kind of headless international capability. So you can you can effectively build a fully internationalized site now going down the best of breed um, headless or composable approach. Um, and, uh, you know, Harvey Nichols, who I think you mentioned in the preamble at the start, that's what they're using uh, to do that. So he's big commerce as the back end engine um, with a, you know, with their own front end on the front of it, ultimately. Um, the big change for the kind of mid-market, uh, I would suggest, or people who don't want to go on a composable approach will be when we get the native multi in there. Um, so the ability to create multi-stores um, through the channel manager and then have them hosted natively on BigCommerce. Uh, I had a meeting yesterday morning, actually, with product on that. And um, it's in the roadmap and we're working very, very hard on it. Um, but with all these things, you know, if you're running a platform with tens of thousands of merchants on, you're when you launch something large like that, which is probably going to include some some restructuring of bits and pieces behind the scenes, it's got to work, right? You need to make sure absolutely it's going to work because you can't be bringing the platform down um, for the sake of a new feature. Um, you know, it, it, it's absolutely number one importance to us that our um, merchants have a completely fantastic experience on the platform and don't see downtime. Um, so I think the, 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 that's the trick, right? The trick is to make sure that we introduce this, um, this functionality uh, in a way that it's, all, it's always backwards compatible, but gives you these new features. And that's the challenge that they're working on right now. Um, so we have a plan to do it. We know we're gonna do it. And it's all in the plan for next year. I think the really good thing is, is we are still winning and delivering business in um, in mainland Europe. So we had sites go live, you know, look at La Perla. If you're going to look at laperla.com, um, there are multi-sites on there in different countries. So we have a German site, a Japanese site, um, a Spanish site, French site. They're all running on BigCommerce using the capabilities that are there in the platform today, obviously, because they're live. Um, and we've also won clients recently in Germany, uh, which at the moment for us is a... Um, uh, a, a kind of, a, a, how can I put it? It's not a, it's not a not strategic territory. It's very strategic. Every territory in my EMEA region is strategic to me. Um, but it's a, it's a, it's a territory where maybe we haven't had so much success before. Um, now, with with this kind of API led commerce approach, people are coming to us in a, in a big way. The big one we won a, a couple of months ago, which hopefully will go live in Q1 next year, is actually running on native stencil front end. So that'll all be in German. We'll have a German um, um, set of merchant interfaces. Uh, and uh, ultimately, we'll be taking that through um, rolling out across Europe uh, for, for the client next year as well, alongside a partner, of course. So I think um, to answer your question, how important is it? It's incredibly important. Um, are we as mature as the kind of older monolith platforms? No, I would suggest. Um, but we've got a plan to get there. And of course, the nice thing about the, 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 the SaaS platform approach is it becomes almost like a snowball effect. So every small change we make and every small thing we introduce, um, you find yourself very rapidly overtaking people because you know for our merchants, if you're on the platform and we introduce this new feature, it's there for you. It doesn't matter if you're paying the $30 plan or if you're paying for the enterprise plan, it's there for everybody, right? They've all got access to this functionality. So um, I think it's gonna be really exciting the next the next 18 months as we, as we start introducing these features. 
Yeah, great. I think, uh, yeah, really good, uh, honest answers there, which I think is really, really good for listeners. Um, I have a question. So La Perla is um, obviously quite an international site and you mentioned they have different big commerce stores, which I know is possible. Um, I believe they use um, a PIM as well, don't they? And um, is it is the setup essentially, so is the PIM there to, I guess, in theory, you manage the product data globally and you, or and potentially other data globally? And then you um, push it into different stores. And how how did that help them? And I guess, do you still think that's a good approach for um, international merchants? So I'm not going to talk to La Perla in particular, because, um, hey, you know, I've only been here five months as well. So a um, couple of reasons, plant confidentiality, but also um, <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm not entirely sure, uh, to, be, to be blunt. But... Um, PIMS as a, as, a, as a concept definitely are, I, I think, a, a really good um, and important part of an architecture. So, uh, in fact, that German client I've just been talking about, you know, uh, we were very much going into the project with the SI um, with the approach that the ERP system had all the data in it. And, of course, it turns out when you start looking at it that the ERP data has fantastic stock data in it and it has really good pricing data in it, but the product descriptions aren't that great because it turns out the web team on their existing uh, monolith architecture are the ones putting that directly into the platform. And if you want to go international, then actually you need to really think about your product data. Uh, your product data is unbelievably important, both from an SEO perspective, uh, you know, because it's the, the, the translation of, say, a, a, of a shoe uh, or of, of your product or of the or of the things you want to put in there so that Google indexes it properly in the country you're aiming at, needs to, you need to make sure it's words that actually resonate, if you know what I mean. But obviously also you need to make sure that the, um, the descriptions and, and, and even the images maybe um, outside of him are, are culturally uh, significant for the country that you're entering into, if you know what I mean. And I've got a lot of experience of doing this in, in, in the olden days with Scenaric, right? Because we, we built platforms and, and uh and, and websites for, for for clients that went truly global. You know, we were working operating in China, had an office in Wuhan of all places. Um, that that were also looking into you know selling into Japan, to Korea. We built some stuff for a big Korea consumer electronics brand. Who could it be? Um, and, and that was a truly global website. And and that capability of needing to have full control of product descriptions, short descriptions, that kind of stuff, that was absolutely key and of importance. So the PIM was a core part of the architecture there. Um, Coming back to the SaaS approach, what's really nice now in, in this kind of, I, I guess, almost Web 3.0, um, but I hate saying that, is that the there are many SaaS PIMs out there. So we work with Akinio and Pimberly and, uh, and, 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 and others, and sorry if I didn't mention you guys. Um, and they are pre-integrated to BC um, and, you know, very, very easy to use from, from a user perspective. Some of them have a have even a, a free version if, if you're a very small merchant, um, and and you know some small merchants. I, I did a webinar with Linworks yesterday, and Sarah Carroll was on there, and she helps uh, small businesses grow internationally. Um, even a small merchant could benefit from that because if you can use that to do your translations and use that to do um, uh, you know those product descriptions we've been talking about, the fact they're pre-integrated again actually makes that pretty easy uh, to integrate it into into BC. So. I would say uh, PIM is definitely a, a core part of an architecture. Not everybody needs one, but as soon as you start looking at a large number of SKUs or you start looking at international expansion, um, yeah, absolutely. Um, go go looking for one. Um, I'm happy to introduce any of my clients, merchants or prospects to the to our partners in that in that in that side. Yeah, I think I think a previous uh, podcast uh, guest of us uh, would would agree with you on that when we discuss PIM. And yeah, uh, it's amazing how many people underestimate the importance of accurate product data because without it, you can't sell online, you can't sell through channel, and people just get so intensely wound up in the business with poor data. 
Well, I'll tell you what, James, you know, I, I worked at a big DIY retailer years ago. Um, uh, I live in Winchester. Who could it be? <laughs> and because uh, their, their headquarters are just down the road. And we had a problem with our search. Um, and the, the example we always used for our search issue was that if you searched for shed, the third answer was a sink. And it's because somebody at some point in the business had put into the product description, this is a great sink. It also works. It's, it's you know, it's rust-proof, so it would work in a shed. And so... Yeah. <laughs> So our internal search would put them into into third place. And funny enough, Google did the same job on indexing it. So um, it was a site that's very well used. And even my dad used to complain to me about how bad the search was. I was like, we're trying to fix it, Dad. We're trying to fix it. Um, that's all product data. That's all data. This is only so far you can go with technology. The, the garbage in, garbage out um, phrase from IT from the 50s still works, right? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, I'd, I'd like to ask you a bit about the social commerce stuff because you touched upon it earlier. And social commerce has been one of those, uh, for me, it's been one of those quite amusing things where it's coming, but, but never arrives, but actually now has suddenly accelerated quite rapidly. And I think in, I think check out on Instagram and Instacart is something that has been a bit of a game changer. So what's happening? I know there's a closed beta, uh, or at least I think it's the closed beta with big commerce and it's a US focused one. What's happening with that, that beta? What's happening with Instagram checkout integration? Is it coming to the UK soon, et cetera? How can people get involved? So it's not closed beta anymore. It is available to all our merchants. Um, however, checking out on Instagram and Facebook is not available to EMEA merchants. Um, it will take you to your store. And, and that's because that's in the power of Facebook, right? So Facebook, uh, as soon as Facebook roll it out to Europe, it will work, basically. Um, so we launched it, uh, I think it was in September. Um, might have been late August, I can't remember exactly. No, it was October. It was early October. There we go. Um, and... Um, Effectively, if you're a BC merchant, um, sign up to Facebook. So you have to go through their onboarding process. They approve you as a merchant to, to be able to sell on their platform. In the US right now, you effectively click the little slider in our channels toolkits, uh, channels manager, um, enter those details that Facebook give you, um, you know, the, the authentication stuff, basically, and, and, the, and you're off and running. You can choose the client, the, the products you want to put into your Instagram posts, and they're all there in your Instagram store. So you can then log into your Instagram or Facebook shop um and and merchandise away uh, ultimately so similar functionality is available right now in bc uh for our amea merchants um but like i said we can't check out on instagram or facebook yet because facebook have yet to launch it um and i don't have a date for you i'm afraid um uh so i do ask <laughs> because we're really keen to know because the merchants using it in the states are loving it i'm sure you can imagine um and uh, anything that's, we had a bit of a joke internally. I was talking about fashion apparel and being heavily influenced. Um, and one of the other sales guys in the States said, everything's influenced nowadays, Jim. I thought, oh, yeah, fair enough. I'm sure it is. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's, I think it's, like you said, it's a kind of inflection point for social commerce. Um, because, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, partly like, these shifts take place because of demographic shifts as well. So my kids are teenagers now. Um, and they love TikTok. They love Instagram. They don't like Facebook, interestingly, because apparently that's an old person's social network, but that's fine. Um, and, uh, yeah, they'll happily buy. You know, my um, my niece wants some Kylie Jenner lip gloss stuff um, for Christmas, right? We found out last night. Why is that? Because she follows her on Instagram. So if they have buying power, and, of course, these people grow up and get jobs, et cetera, that's going to be the way they want to buy and want, and want to work. Uh, and it won't just be, you know, Facebook and Instagram. We have a dedicated Omni team that are talking to all the other social networks that are out there and looking to build those integrations. Um, 
but it was a you know it was it was a really fun day when that launched um the the amount of kind of press coverage it got was was actually slightly shocking to us to be honest um certainly in the uk where we you know we don't actually have it yet um but why not? I agree. It's an inflection point. It's, it's an important. It's an important time in, in in social media. Almost growing up from being what initially started off as a as, as a as a chat and keep in touch with your friends network, which ultimately became a way of directing ads and making a lot of money out of ads. And if you're making money out of ads, why not own the entire journey, right? So I think it's um it's only going to go one way. I think uh, yeah, I agree. I think it'll be really interesting. I was on um, Instagram the other day, and I like managed to uh, click on a product. And even though I couldn't check out, like even the shopping experience on Instagram is going to be so good. And if you um, or just so convenient. And I think once yeah, you've got safe payment details, it's just going to be so quick and convenient to buy through Instagram. I think it'll be um, it'll be huge. Um, so st- sticking on the topic of checkouts, so one thing that big commerce has over some of the other some of its competitors, I guess, is the openness um, of its checkout and the ability to do kind of full headless checkout and kind of customize the checkout generally. Um, who who's kind of leveraging this at the moment? Um, like, what type of business is it aimed for? And would you caution kind of e-commerce teams on this, or do you think it's something that's quite well? Um, kind of I guess protected or regulated by big commerce yeah I, I think um uh to answer the first point you know who's who's doing it it's people where our checkout doesn't fulfill the need for them so it might be somebody who has to use a payment integration that we don't have on our platforms as you know all our payment integrations are um are, are built by us uh, alongside the payment provider obviously um and then we take on all the PCI compliance like we talked about right so um but some people, for whatever reason, have to use a different payment provider. Maybe it doesn't work in the country that they want to work in. Um, maybe it's um, they, they want to do some other kind of slightly esoteric stuff with some kind of built-in loyalty card system that they've got. Um, that's when those guys will be looking at the um, using the custom checkout. So it tends to be the larger merchants who go down the, the custom checkout route. Um, you know, on that on that note, we you know we just launched Checkout JS, the open source checkout, as it used to be called. So there's a there's even even easier way of doing that now, which is great. Um, so would I caution them? Yeah, I probably would caution people. I mean, if you're ever playing with payment providers and um, uh, you know changing the way that that, that that credit card details, payment information, personal information is collected. Even though you're using the BC API, I think once you start doing that, you need to make sure that you've got a, a good development team in there um, and work with somebody with some PCI compliance experience to understand whether it impacts you or not, ultimately. Um, because, you know, it could do. If, you, if you're taking it out of our checkout background and using somebody else, you probably need to look at your own PCI compliance. It might only be a kind of level one compliance because ultimately it's still hosted not touching the systems or your own systems, if you know what I mean. Um, but I would I would caution anybody going down the checkout route or custom checkout reach just to make sure that they've got a decent partner uh, that they're working with who's got experience of that um and also you know talk to our professional services and support you know we have a really good support organization um they're incredibly busy i'm sure you can imagine with covid um there's a lot of uh, new merchants and a lot of other people so um that's been a, a an impact on the business that it's very hard bearing, bearing in mind it's people <laughs> people and, and and support materials to, to catch up with, but we're there now. Uh, you know, we, we've we've got a really good support team and a really good professional services team. And I know in a mayor in particular, the, the, the CSS, as we call it, customer success team um, that we have here is fantastic. You know, putting the customer first is our number one um, 
kind of corporate responsibility. I've got a corporate um, value, um, one that I absolutely love. Um, and so, you know, working with those guys to, to understand exactly what you want to do with the checkout um, is really important. But, you know, the, the point of it being there is exactly that. Uh, and it's, it's this open SaaS model of BC that I really like. You know, with, with SaaS, you're quite often tied to what the product can do, what the platform can do. And if you want to do something different, you have to leave and go to a, you know, a, a more traditional platform. With BC, we're trying to make it as open as possible um, so that you can uh, integrate uh, what you need to at, the, at any point in the journey. And the checkout is just one one major part of that. Uh, that yeah, I, I, remember, I remember discussing a project with a client where we had, comp, it was a charity and had complex payment flows with consolidated baskets and checkout for subscription products for like memberships plus gift purchases for standard card, etc. And it was it was fun exploring how it could be achieved in big commerce. And the one thing that I did like was was how they were we came up with with the UK solutions team um, with two options where big commerce could do it. Um, I think that's an important thing actually that I found is that that flexibility of having a fully open API for checkout means you're not shoehorned into one particular outcome each time. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Makes sense. Um, so my next question. So I know Big Commerce have done a lot of work since they came into Europe around um, partners, and I know technology partners is a big area, and and you've also uh, got some really good SI partners on board. Um, how important is this to you? Like, how do you identify new partners, and kind of how do you plan to continue building this out at different levels? Absolutely. If you look at um the success I had with my old business, that was all built around that strength of partnerships. And I think partnering together is um, absolutely key uh, to, to, to successful businesses. I, I think, you know, even outside of e-commerce land, ultimately, I, I think there's a lot to be said for it. Um, and so the the worry at the moment, in a way, like you say, is that, um, and again, being very open and transparent, is as big commerce becomes kind of a hot technology and a, and a hot platform and people want to work with it, is you get a lot of people wanting to be partners with us. Um, and so we do have a very good process for doing this. And, and it's come out of um, the States. So uh, Dan Fertigue runs agency partnerships and, uh, and Russell Kleine runs the tech partnership side of the business. They have had a lot of experience with this in, in the US already. We have a sort of set process that we kind of slightly, you know, tweaked for, for, for Europe. Um, we do need a lot of partners ultimately. You know, if we're if we're growing across the whole region in the in the next few years, we're going to need, need to make sure that we have partners with local language skills who are in country. One, you know, one of the interesting things about closing the borders is that you can do quite a lot um, over Zoom. But actually, if you've got a partner who's in the same town as your merchant, it's probably quite useful because at least they can meet up outside and talk through some issues. If you know what I mean. And so um, we have a kind of acquisition process where people apply to be partners and then we'll vet them to a certain extent. So if it's a one man band, um, we might do because we might know them. Right. You know, it could be a, a, a name in the industry. Um, so uh, he says talking to two names in the industry um, who we know will be worth talking to uh, and, and, and um, are, are, you know, have, have um, how can I put it, value to add to BC and we have value to add to them. At the same time, you know, it's uh, it could be somebody new. People again, demographic shifts, right? People come in all the time, and so that acquisition piece takes up quite a lot of time. We are trying to vet people, make sure that they're right, the right people, and they're not just coming in to learn the secrets and take them away to one of our competitors, so to speak. Um, in addition, once they're in, we do have uh, various different levels of partner training and partner tiers. Um, so it's uh, we have the partner day, the global partner day coming up this week. 
uh, where the partner awards will be announced and, and kind of the re-tiering, much like the, the monoliths and, and, and the other platforms have always had as well. But they're really good quality control mechanisms. So you can say that if, it's a, if we have an elite partner here, you know these guys have done a lot of work with BC. They're going to have a team on the ground that understand big commerce. They're going to have been through the training, our, our big dev training. So you're not going to, you know, if there are issues on the project, it's not going to be because of those things, if you know what I mean. And we'll work with you to, to get around them. Um, so, so what it looks like now is, like you said, we have a we have a number of SIs in there that have been with us for a few years. They're kind of five eight seven four space forty eight of this world, um, and they're growing as businesses um, and, and they're doing a really good work. Um, and and it, you know they have merchants that are very pleased with it. And, it's, and it, for me, having founded an SI myself, watching those guys grow. It's been it's brilliant um, and will happily take larger clients to them. So these guys, have they might not be as big as, as one of the larger partners that we have, but uh, but they have, you know, six, seven years of experience with BC and it's it's a relatively new platform in Amir. So, um, you know, you don't get more than that. At the same time, we do have the larger guys coming towards us um, and working with us. We work closely with Live Area and Bourne uh, as, as good examples. Um, we've had uh, some really good partnership conversations and signed partner forms with some of the very large um uh, SIs in this space because again as they're looking at um I think if you're looking at composable architectures there's only really two platforms at the moment you could look at us and uh, um, the other bunch from Germany who I can't possibly name um and so um it's nice to have two on the pitch right and those guys tend to work with very large retailers so they're, they're partnering with us as well um the key thing is is everyone gets a similar level of the process I'm a bit of a process geek not surprisingly being a bit of a geek um, and um, it's it's important that people are trained. It's important that people have a regular set of cadence meetings set up with us. It's important that we understand what's happening within their organisation, and that you know we we share leads with each other. You know, partly you know, brutally honest. Part of it's commercial relationship. You know, we we need uh, SIs and partners and tech partners to come along and help us deliver stuff. Um, so we're you know we will we will say oh, we think this is the best match for this client for whatever reason. So can you come in and pitch it with us? And did so, you know, um, people come to us saying we need a new e-commerce platform. They're looking at a composable architecture or they're looking at getting something live very quickly to try a new market, which they've never done before. It could be a big CPG company, something like that. Um, and so, you know, we'll take the lead and work with them on that as well. So I, I think it's um, the key thing with partnerships for me is making sure that you have open, honest and transparent communications and regular contact uh, without that. And it's kind of the key for life, to be honest. But without that, things tend to wither on the vine. Yeah, hundred percent. I I think that applies into when you look at the clients we work with for replatforming. Every single part of this chain is based up of partnerships, and and if partnerships aren't successful, then then everyone loses out. So yeah, I think that's a nice way to position it. Um, I had one more question because um, I mean, this has been really interesting actually to hear to hear your perspective five months in and hear hear uh, some of the, the news. I know there's a lot going on and you run town halls. Um, you know, I, I, I join in as many as I possibly can. And there's lots of new updates. And we talked about one before we start this podcast around things like channel manager and increase adding new channels to enable people to sell. Where people want to find out specifics and details about latest capabilities, how do they reach out off the back of this uh, episode, Jim? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think... Um if you're looking to re-platform, uh, feel free to reach out to me, <laughs> jim.herbert at bigcommerce.com. Um, but if, yeah, if you're looking for actual information like that, I, we do have, again, processes and mechanisms for doing that. So there's a newsletter. Uh, if you go to bigcommerce.com, um, or big, sorry, bigcommerce.co.uk, uh, if you're in France, Italy, or the Netherlands, you'll be taken to one of our micro sites um, in those languages, uh, if your browser's set to that language. 
either way, there's a, there's a there's an area on there where you can sign up for the newsletter. Um, that's really really useful, and you'll get the the latest. Uh, information about product roadmap, but also about new partners, about new launches, about new customers. Um, and I think that's a really good place to get that. The town halls are another one, like you mentioned. Um, I think if you if you join up to the town halls um, and, the, and even the Facebook community, Facebook groups as well, I'm, I've joined those as well. I kind of lurk on them because I'm scared of ever replying to anything on there <laughs> because people will start sending me too much stuff. And I'm unfortunately one of those people would have to reply. And, I'll, you know, there's only so many hours in the day. So someone needs to sleep occasionally, right? But um, but I think the official ones are the town halls, um, the the partner days if you're a partner, and the, and the newsletter. Um, but in addition, like I say, there are you know there are these community forums, and we're doing a lot of work to try and make that um, a lot better. We, you know, we have a program in place for developer advocacy. Uh, ultimately, you know, one of the things again as a as a kind of techie geek that I loved about some of the open source platforms, which you could always get an answer. Actually, the the, the issue with that is you go too community and too forum led then the answer might not be the right answer, if you know what I mean. You end up sort of Googling something and finding something from 2016 that's no longer relevant. So having it curated by BC is a, is a really good way of making sure that um, people get the, the best, most relevant information. Um, but yeah, so the, the short answer is, and as you probably noticed, I like to talk, and most of my answers have been long answers, is town halls, newsletter, um, and, and partner days if you, if you sign up as a partner. Cool. Excellent. Thanks very much. Uh, Jim, really enjoyed it. It's really nice to, to catch up. And I uh, and also appreciate your honesty because we always come into this podcast with a view that no platform's perfect. And actually, the, the best way to help people make decisions is, is to be honest about where platforms have strengths and weaknesses and where they're going to, to improve in the future. So really, really enjoyed listening to that perspective. Thank you. Uh, Paul, any questions from your point of view before we... Uh, yeah, I just echo what um, you just said. Yeah, I think really honest, open discussion, um, which, yeah, you don't always get when you talk to platforms. And, yeah, really useful, informative. Um, yeah, I think it's re- it's going to be really interesting to see where big commerce goes um, over the next few months and years. Great. Well, thanks for having me on, guys. You know, you're right. No platform's perfect. Uh, I know we all strive for, for, for perfection. Easy for me to say again. Um, but, uh, and we are striving for it. We're looking to improve where it doesn't work. But I think I think openness and honesty and transparency is important. It helps people make the right decision. Um, and I'd rather sign up merchants who are going to be happy on our platform for years um, than people who get on board thinking they're buying something else. So that's why, that's why I've been like I have. And, and hopefully people have found it useful. Yeah, wonderful. Thanks very much, Jim. Enjoy the rest of your uh, day. Thank you very much.